John chapter 14. We'll begin at verse 16. We're down to verse 20, but let's just read. I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you wonderfully forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you and yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but you see me and because I live, you shall live. Now we've come to verse 20 today. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, that ye are in me, and I am in you. And he that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. And then Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou will manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man, now verse 23 and 24 answer that question, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and I come again to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it comes to pass, you might believe and henceforth, I will, sp- I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh, and he hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. So Jesus in this upper room discourse now continues to develop the idea of the Holy Spirit coming, what that means to us, the union that will take place between us and the Father and the Son, how that's spiritually discerned as we are able to embrace things spiritually. You know, he's giving peace to us, his peace he leaves with us, not as the world gives. And he says, then let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He says, if you understood what I was saying, you rejoice because I'm going to the Father and the Father is greater than I am. And then he takes us down whatever worldly things we, we face. There's victory. The prince of this world cometh, but he hath nothing in me. 
And then finally he says, you know, I'm going that the world might know that I love the Father. That's why I keep his commandment and then arise. Let us be going. So verse 20, where we pick up today, it says, At that day you shall know, gnosko experientially, that I am in my Father and that you are in me. And I am in you. Now, this is through the Holy Spirit that's coming. He's not letting us comfortless. The Spirit of truth is coming. And he says, what you will begin to understand, of course, is he says that I am in you, you are in me, and you know, and that I am in the Father. He said, you're going to understand this. Look, we take it for granted. It just, it sounds complicated, but it's not. We, every Sunday we gather, we take for granted that Christ is in the Father. We see the Father in Christ, on the cross, reconciling the world to himself. We see Christ the Father. And then he says that I am in you. We've been born again. Christ is living in our hearts. We talk about that. And that you are in me, that we're in Christ. We're not standing on our own righteousness. And he says these things really are taught of the Spirit. We know them, but they deepen as we grow in Christ. This remarkable relationship where Christ is in the Father, then we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. What a remarkable thing that I think really that we can take for granted if we, if we don't sit with it and, and distill that in our minds and our hearts. And he says, he that, hath my, he that hath my commandments and keepeth, the tense is, is present, and is guarding them continually, he it is that is loving me. And he that is loving me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and manifest myself unto him. So he says here, he that keep, if we keep his commandments and we guard them, we're keeping them, it's a military, we're guarding the things that he says to us, and we do. Here we are. That's why we're here on Sunday morning. We're here because we open the pages of Scripture, and it means so much to us when we're broken, when we're struggling, when we're hurting, when we're condemned, when we're rejoicing, you know, we guard his word. We keep his word. And he says, the person that keeps my word is the person that is loving me. You know, when you, you know, want to please somebody, if you're engaged, you do the things that you know will please that person. And he says, the person that is keeping my commandments guarding them is the person that loves me. And if you love me, you'll be loved of my father, he said. And I will manifest. And, and Judas is going to ask a question about this manifestation. I will manifest myself to him, to the man, to the woman that loves me. And look, we've all experienced that. Uh, it's in my life. It's the exception. It's not the rule probably because of my density, it doesn't happen more often. But there are times in our lives when we're thinking about doing something and our flesh is telling us to make a left and the Holy Spirit is telling us to make a right. And, and he'll bring a verse and also we'll sense God's presence. There's times when we sit alone with him, we'll sense his presence. There's times sometimes when we're talking to somebody or there's a tragedy around us and we'll just sense his presence. And he says that, those who love me, they guard my word. They keep it. My father loves them. I'll love them. And I will manifest myself. So subjectively, we all get to experience that from time to time. 
And again, personally, I wish it would happen more in my life. There are times when I sense the Lord's presence and the stillness is overwhelming and it just kind of freezes me. And I just sit quietly and I'm overwhelmed. And he says, when I love you, you know, I'll, I'll manifest myself to you. Now, Judas, it tells us here, who is not Iscariot, because it must have bothered poor Judas that his name was Judas. Everyone must have given him a dirty look. No, 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 no. It's not what you think, you know. <clears throat> We're told he's the, you know, Judas Iscariot is the man of Kiriath. But this Judas in Luke and in the book of Acts, chapter 1, tells us that he's the son of James. So this is a different Judas. He's called Thaddeus and Lebius in the list of the apostles. So John tells us, now Judas said unto him, Lord, and he's gonna, he says, but it wasn't Judas Iscariot, Lord. He asks the question, how is it? that you're going to manifest yourself unto us and not unto the world. He's a good Jewish boy. He's followed Jesus. You know, he's thinking in Messianic terms, and he believes when the Messiah comes, he's going to manifest himself to the world. They had watched Jesus rebuke the wind and the sea, feed the 5,000. They watched Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And then they watched Jesus in the triumphal entry coming into Jerusalem. And the multitudes are screaming, save, save now, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're thinking, okay, we're getting close. He's going to do it. Let's get this show on the road. And they believe he's going to do that because they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest, who's going to sit on his right hand, his left hand. That's what they're expecting. And when he had said, you know, you'll know I'm there. The world doesn't know. It can't receive me. It doesn't know me and so forth. <clears throat> but I'm going to come and manifest myself to the one who loves me. It sounds so individual that Judas says, how is it, Lord, that you're going to manifest yourself to us and not unto the world. Isn't that what Messiah does? Doesn't he come and the whole world wonders after him? Doesn't, you know, he over, are you going to overthrow all of our enemies and the Romans and make every man sit between his vine and his fig tree? He asked a reasonable question. And then Jesus takes two verses to answer that. Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will guard my logon, my logos, my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. So this is how I'm going to manifest myself to you and not to the world. If someone loves my word, and there it's logos, you know, he told us in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. In the beginning was the logos, the logos was with God, the logos was God. And in verse 14 of chapter 1, he says, the logos, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus himself, the manifestation of that. We beheld him, you know, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he says here, if a man love me, he'll keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And again, that word abode there in verse 23, and this is how he's going to manifest himself to us and not to the world. That abode there, it's only used one other time in the Bible, and that's back in, in verse 2 where it says, in my father's house are many mansions. And unimaginably, he says here, 
if you love me, you keep my commandments, my Father and I will love you, and we will come and make you our mansion. There's a mansion for you in glory. We're kind of looking for a guest chamber here on earth, a fixer-upper. You know, there's a mansion waiting for you, but we will come. We will come. It's very interesting. That insinuates a change of position, a shifting. We will come. From where? You know, it's very interesting. Here's, here's God you know, saying, I will come alongside of you. I will dwell with you. I will dwell in you. And you think about that. That's the creator. That's the redeemer. That's the one who's Lord of the universe, time, space, matter. He's going to confine himself to a human being. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. And yet God, who the universe can't contain, is going to come to my heart and your heart. He doesn't relinquish any of his omnipresence when he does that. He comes and dwells in us, but still then is everywhere at the same time. You know, the psalmist, David, would say, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. You know, uh, who, you know, you, you set your glory above the heavens, yet out of the ba- mouths of babes and sucklings, you perfected praise. You know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me. The kids can sing that and mean it. When I consider the sun and the moon and the stars, the work of thy fingers, what is man that thou art mindful of him? The son of man that thou visitest him. And he says here, we will come. We will come and we will make you our mansion. We will dwell in you. That's how you're going to have us manifest ourselves to you. But that's not to the world. That's personal. And look, we will grow in that our whole Christian experience here. That will mean more more to us today than it did yesterday. It will mean more to us a year from now than it does today. That we have the creator, the redeemer, actually taken up residence within us. We didn't earn it. We can't deserve it. We'll never be worthy of it. But his word has meant something to us. He's talked to us about God's love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He's talked to us about our destiny. His word has become precious to us because all else in this world is like shifting sand. We have one thing that's immovable, and that's the word of God. As we love that, and our blessed hope is contained therein, he says, if you guard my word, if you keep that, my Father and I will love you, and we will come to you, and we're going to make you our mansion. It's hard for me to put mansion there. You know, if it was an Airbnb... Or, or he said, uh, Motel 6, or, you know, you're a fixer-upper. I could kind of grab that a little. But he said there's something about coming and dwelling in his redeemed that to him is like the mansion that we're going to receive when we come to glory. Pretty remarkable, huh? You're having a hard day. Satan's condemning you. Just walk in the bathroom, look in the mirror and say, I'm a mansion. <laughs> See if that cheers you up a little bit. Now, how is he going to manifest yourself to us, not the world? He says, we're going to manifest in this sense. We're going to come. We will come make our abode with him. But he that loveth me not and keepeth not my logos, my word, 
And, the, and he said, understand the logos, the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's which sent me. So the person who hears it and, and doesn't guard it is a person who doesn't, he doesn't care about me, doesn't love me. And he said, and, and the crux of that, the difficulty of that, he says, is what you're hearing is not my word, it's the word of God Almighty. What you're hearing through me, I'm not speaking, but God the Father is speaking. And if you don't hear me and love me, you don't hear or love God. No matter what your religious background is, no matter how old it is, no matter what traditions it has, no matter what it claims to itself, if it's a Christ-rejecting religion, it is a deception. Because he says, there's one voice, that's mine. And when you hear it, it isn't me that's speaking, it's God Almighty speaking through me. And if you're not willing to hear me, you're not willing to hear God. That really narrows it down. I am the way and the truth and the life he had told us. It rules out every other form of religion that doesn't love, receive, hear the words of Christ as the words of God. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. It insinuates he's going, being yet present with you. And then remarkably, he says this, but even though I'm going to be going, and it's what they're worried about, but the comforter, now that's masculine in the gender, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, so it tells us the Holy Ghost is a person whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. So he says this then, look, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, this person, when he comes, the Father will send future tense. He's speaking to them now. This happens on Pentecost. The Father will send in my name. He will teach future. He will teach you all things. It's going to happen. And he's going to bring future tense you know, these things to remembrance, which I have spoken to you. So the Holy Spirit is going to bring to them what Christ has taught and said, and he's going to elaborate on that for them. And he's going to bring to remembrance everything that Jesus said. Now look, the, the sentence is the proof positive of that. You have a 90-year-old apostle Fallen apart. Average life expectancy for a male in this day was 45 years old. John is 90. It would be like somebody today living to be 160 or something. You know, He's ancient. He's old. Again, they would carry him into the church and he'd just say, love one another. They'd carry him back out again. He ain't got much left. All the warranties are worn out. But he's put his quill to the page to record from memory this upper room discourse in detail that it would be impossible for any human ever to accomplish. And that's because this verse is being fulfilled. The Holy Spirit has come to him. He is teaching him all things and bringing to remembrance all the things that Christ had said. And here they go through his quill 
to the page. It was certainly true in the lives of the apostles, the others listening. The foundation of the apostles and prophets that the church is built on in a particular way, as the apostles would put their quill to the page, the word that came from them was inerrant. It was infallible. It was divine. It was inspired. People can argue with you everything you want to argue, but if you and I are guarding his word, it's precious to us. We know intuitively, because the Spirit's in us, that the word we have is divine. It's otherworldly. It's infallible. It's inerrant. This rehearsing of this upper room discourse, there's not a single word wrong or misplaced here. Every bit of it is true because the spirit of truth came and inspired John to put these things to the page, as he did the other writers of the New Testament. So we have the word of God on the page. Martin Luther would say it wasn't the writer, it was the rote. When, you know, what went through the quill onto the page was the word of God. And it wasn't because the writer had the ability. It was the inspiration of the spirit and of what was said, what was put to the page. And there's certain things he, sa- he says, he says, you're going to understand these things. I will send, I will teach future tense. What he's saying here is there's certain things that I want to teach you that I can't teach you now. But after my crucifixion, and after my resurrection, and after my ascension, and on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is shed forth, then there are things that you'll see, you'll be taught, you'll understand, it will come together. And there's a secondary fulfillment of that, certainly for us. We, as well, can take this promise to ourselves that Jesus will teach us all things, that he'll breathe things to, to our remembrance by his spirit. Certainly not in the way he did with the apostles, which is unique and unrepeatable. Nobody can add to the scripture today. But for you and I, you know that the Holy Spirit comes to your life again and says, no, you want to make a left. Don't do that. Make a right here. This is what the word says. You know that. We're witnessing to someone. And as we're witnessing all of these verses, all this stuff comes to our mind. And we really walk away feeling like we did a pretty good job. We're thinking, man, I'm good. No, you ain't. The Holy Spirit just brought all that stuff to remembrance because your brain don't function the way it ought to function. But isn't it wonderful when that happens? You just sense the Lord is there. You know, it just kind of pours out. So he says that here, the Holy Spirit, he's going to come. He's going to teach you and he's going to bring things to your remembrance. And I personally am thankful for that when that takes place in my life. And certainly in regards to what he's saying about the Holy Spirit and teaching us things, he says then, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, which he said in verse 1, but now he adds, neither let it be afraid. 
So he speaks to them now, the Holy Spirit teaching them all things. And he says, peace, I leave with you. He qualifies it then a little bit more and says, my peace I give to you. And it's not the way the world gives peace. We need to understand that. Paul starts so many of his letters because this is the objective peace I leave with you. Subjective, my peace I give to you. When Paul starts his letters, he always starts a lot of them saying grace and peace unto you. Because there's never peace until there's grace. If we don't understand God's grace, we ain't ever going to have peace. And he never says peace and grace. The grace has to come first. And what he's saying here is peace I leave with you. That is objective. That is the fact that you and I have peace with God through the cross. Something has happened that we could not facilitate, we couldn't earn, we couldn't deserve. Jesus accomplished it on the cross, and now you and I have peace with God. And and then he says, my peace I give to you. No doubt that is the peace of God, not the peace with God. Both of them, both sides of the coin are here that we can have the peace of God in our lives that surpasses understanding. It's better than understanding something. When we get into a situation, things are falling apart, we don't know what's going on, it tells us the peace of God trumps that in the sense that it's better to have God's peace than to understand what's going on. All we want to do is, why, Lord? How, Lord? Why, Lord? When, Lord? How, Lord? Why, Lord? He said, no, there's something else. My peace, the peace of God in your heart, stands above answering all of those questions. Those questions could be answered and you still wouldn't have peace. And he says here, look, this peace, it's not as the world gives peace. Anybody notice that? Anybody here feel like the world's giving them any peace this week? Raise your hand. We can see how deceived you are. (laughs) The world ain't got no peace. That's why you can't give any peace. You know, watch the news. Look what's going on around us. The world signs peace treaties while it develops nuclear weapons. The world signs, you know, disarmament treaties while it's in its labs. It's developing the most destructive weapons the world has ever seen. Daniel tells us that world leaders will sit at a table and they'll all lie to each other. Have you found any peace in Washington? Me and you. That's good. You know, you you found any peace in our economy? Have you found any peace in the world? We look at the war. We look at everything's going on. And be honest, have you found any peace in the Super Bowl? (laughs) Right? There's no peace in this world. And sometimes we think, well, if the person I vote for gets elected, everything's going to straighten out. It is not. And if I get this fixed, there's going to be no racism. There is. Not in the church, but there is. If this happens, there'll be no prejudice. There'll be no child abuse. There'll be no prostitution. There'll be no sex trafficking. There'll be no drugs. No, no. He's given us a peace that this world knows nothing about. Because there is no peace in this world. He's of another world. What he's doing here is drawing our hearts to a different kingdom. 
And that should be easier for us than any generation in the church because we're the generation that has the media. We have social media. We carry it in our hand. We have, you know, we have it on the screen at home. We, we know more about what's going on globally than any generation in the church has ever lived. And we should be able to look at it and see it unraveling and realize, wow, Lord, the, the one thing that ain't shaken is your kingdom. The hope you've given us, Lord, really is an anchor to my soul. And I'm so thankful. And he says it here. Peace. I leave with you. Cross, resurrection, ascension. I leave you peace. Then my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Look, I want to say this too. These things are true. But then sometimes as a Christian, we think, well, man, I, I am stressed out. I am depressed. I ain't got no peace. Maybe I'm not saved. I must be a carnal Christian. You know, I, I'm not fulfilling what Jesus said, or he ain't fulfilling to me. He must be mad at me. What's wrong? I should have more peace in this circumstance. Look, in chapters 15 and 16, he talks a lot about how the world's going to hate us. And we're not going to have, in some circumstances, the peace that we want. In fact, probably a half hour before this, he said his soul was troubled because Judas was about to betray him. He tells us in chapter 16, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world, he says, you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Look, he says, in me you have peace. Not in circumstances not in all kinds of things going around us. We can be stressed. We can be troubled. Jesus himself in Gethsemane was sweat, great drops of blood. But he says, in me, a peace. In the world, you have something else. Don't look to the world. And look, I see it so often. People in our church, cancer, that'll say to me, I would never change this. What, what I have learned about Jesus through this is, is worth more to me. Where I've been with people, you know, in hospice taking their last breath. I remember my dad saying to him, Dad, are you afraid? Because he was had a few breaths away. He said, just shook his head no with a smile. Doesn't say there's not trouble. Doesn't say we're not stressed. Don't get, let Satan condemn you. That would be the opposite of the very thing Jesus is trying to give you. Don't let him lie to you and take the peace that God wants you to have away from you. He says, let not, in regards to that, let not your heart be troubled, passive, by things that come on you. You don't create them or bring them. They come, this trouble. But then he says to you, don't let your heart be afraid. That's, that's a present imperative. That's something for you. All this is coming. Don't let your heart be afraid. Look, it's hard. We look at the world and we think, when's the next pandemic? What are they letting loose now? What in the world's going up into the, in the sky and the water there in, in Ohio? What's going on with this situation? Who's coming across the border? What's happening with, you know, our economy? Everything I have is worth less and less. What happens with these threats? What the heck kind of balloons are flying over the country? You know, I mean, there's no peace anywhere there. There is no peace. Don't search that for peace. Here, this isn't this great? Look around the room right. There's a lot of peace right here. You know, I wish when you turn on the news, you, just you all came up. 
which is, ah, it's good news today. Look at that. Listen to them sing, you know. That's here, but in the world, there's no peace. He said, Jesus, in the world you have tribulation. He said, but don't let your heart be troubled by what goes on or comes to you. Don't let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and I come again to you. And those are present tense. I am going away and I am coming again. They're scratching their head. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I am. He said, I'm going home. I've made my journey here. I'm going home. And I told you that. And if you loved me, you'd rejoice because I'm getting to go home. You know, I'm the kid on the milk carton. I'm finally getting out of here. I'm going home to my father's house. And if you, if you really believe that, you'd rejoice. Yes, it's going to be by way of Gethsemane. It's going to be by way of the cross and the tomb. And he says, but I'm going, to the, I'm going back to, to my father and to have there the glory that I had before the world was formed that he tells us about in chapter 17. And he said, and you would rejoice because my father is greater than I am. We can work through that the rest of our lives. Certainly the Trinity, God is equal, God's Son, God the Father, God the Spirit. In his carnation, incarnation, he's the God-man. Incarnate in human flesh, he's the God-man. He's not half God and half man. He's totally God and totally man. But because he's totally man, he can say in this situation, the Father's greater than I am. Both God, there's position, but none superior or inferior. And he said, you would be rejoicing because I'm going to my father and he's greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes to pass that when it is come to pass, you might believe. This is typically a picture of prophecy in the scripture. In the scripture, one out of every four verses is prophecy. 25 to 30 percent of the Bible is prophecy, not the Upanishads, not the Bhagavad Gita, not, you know, the Quran. This one book. 25 percent of it tells us what's coming. And Jesus says here, I do that so that when you see it, you might believe. He said when he when he does the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says, look, I've told these things ahead of time. So when you see them, then you'll know you can believe through Isaiah again, 41 to 46, over and over and over. He says this. He says, look, I'm God. Your idols, what you worship, they're not God. Here's how you can tell which one of them can tell you the end from the beginning. Which one of them can tell you the things that are coming? Which one of them can tell you origin and destiny? Which one of those can plainly lay out the things that are going to come to pass in the last days? And all of that is an injunction. Believe on me. Believe. And Jesus now is telling them these things. And what are they going to think? You know, on Pentecost, when they're filled with the Spirit, they're going to, remembering, they're going to remember this discourse in the upper room. They're going to remember the Last Supper. They're going to remember Gethsemane. They're going to remember him dying on the cross. They're going to remember the sky turning black and the earth shaking and the veil in the temple torn. They're going to remember all of these things. And it's going to, it's going to grow their faith. They're going to say, he told us these things before they came. Now look, 
turn on the news. You know, we watch COVID come. We watch all these things going on around us. And I see Christians freaking out. And I'm thinking, we've been teaching these things for 50 years. And now they're happening. You're freaked out. Jesus said, when you see these things, you'll know. We're at the very door. We're at the very door. Christ could come at any moment. He could come before this study's over. He could come today. When he comes, it's going to be like a thief in the night. He's going to come at a moment and a time that we're not expecting. And he's told us ahead of time the things that we would see in the days that we're living in so that when we see them, we might believe. And believing, we might have peace instead of being troubled by the insanity around us. I've told you these things so that when you see them, they come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter means, now after this, I will not talk much with you. He's, he's in the upper room with them. Chapters 15, 16, and 17. How long did it take him to say those things? How long did it take? 15 minutes, 20 minutes, a half an hour? He basically says, I'm not going to be with you much longer to say these things. And the reason why, for the prince of this world cometh, and he hath nothing in me. He hath nothing in me. He's going to accomplish what the Father set out for him to do. The prince of this world, he said, is coming, right in the process while he's there. And he says, because of that, I've got a few more things I want to say to you. And then you're not going to hear much from me after that, because the prince of this world is coming. He says, but he's got nothing in me, not a square inch. He's got nothing on me. He's got nothing in me. He's got nothing with me. He's the prince of this world. I'm the prince of another world. And he's got nothing on me. He can't point the finger at me. He can't accuse me. He can't do nothing. Conceived of a virgin, sinless in his, in his walk and in his life, divine, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The enemy's coming. He's got nothing in me. He had something in Judas. He found something in Judas, and he indwelled him. Satan has things lined up, no doubt. He has Judas. He has the Sanhedrin. He has the priests. He has the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He has Herod. He has Pilate. He has the soldiers that will crucify him. And no doubt somewhere in the process, the prince of this world thinks that he's about to triumph. He thinks that he's about to triumph. I'm not going to talk with you much now. The reason why, because the prince of this world is coming. He's got nothing in me. He's got nothing in me. Wonderfully. But... That the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do, <clears throat> arise, let us be going. Prince of the world is coming, but it didn't change anything. I'm doing what I'm doing to fulfill the commandment of the Father. Gethsemane, the cross, the resurrection, bearing your sin, I'm going. 
You, uh, you have to understand, the prince of this world is coming. I'm not going to get a chance to tell you these things much longer. We're, our, our conversation now is going to be shortened. He said, but that the world might know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. This is going to roll out exactly the way it should. And it's very interesting here, he says, that the world might know that I love the Father. It's the only time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John that it specifically records Jesus saying, I love the Father. Nowhere else. And the, and the interesting thing is he's looking towards the cross. When you and I look at the cross, we see God's love towards us. We look at the cross again. We remember, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever would leave will not perish, but have everlasting life. When we look at the cross, we see God's love. And we see his forgiveness. When Jesus looks at the cross, he sees the opportunity to prove to the world that he loves the Father. Isn't it interesting? That the world might know that I love the Father. That's why I'm going. That's why I'm going. And then he ends by saying, Arise, let us be going. Does that mean they got up and they all kind of stumbled out of the... I don't think so. I think he meant that, you know, it's time for us to get going. But in chapter 18, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with the disciples over the brook of Kidron. So I don't believe there Jesus said, let's get out of here, this upper room. And then stumbling along in the dark, John was listening real close so he could hear chapters 15, 16, and 17. I don't believe that. Jesus is saying, time is short. I'm going to say a few things to say to you. The prince of this world's involved now. I'm going to do what I'm doing because I want the world to know my love for the Father. Arise, you know, we need to be going. It doesn't say they leave right then. So a great challenge to me, you know, personally as I go through this, um, that God would actually want to come and take up residence in me, remarkably. I need faith to embrace that. That he sent his spirit, the comforter, to teach me and bring things to my remembrance. Look, these guys would be successful not because of their ability to learn, but because of the Holy Spirit's ability to teach. That's how the foundation of the church was laid. That's why we have the Holy Scripture. And for you and I, is the same Holy Spirit, you know. He's coming. He's teaching me. I'm still learning. I've been walking with the Lord for 50 years, and I'm still learning. I'm still seeing things in John I've never seen before. And he's bringing things to remembrance. He's got to do that because mine's getting worse. But wonderfully, he's bringing things to remembrance. And what I'm remembering today is he said, you know, I'm leaving you with peace, Joe. My peace. I give it to you. There's no cost. Not the way the world gives peace. It has no peace. Don't let your heart be troubled when these different things come upon you. Don't let it be afraid. Rejoice. I've gone to the Father. I'm back home. I'm at the right hand where I ever live and make intercession for the saints. 
and I'm coming again in your lifetime. Got a few things to say here. I'll get them done because the prince of this world is coming. But he's got nothing in me. He's got nothing in me. I am completely independent of him. You know, Satan can't change the number of the Antichrist from 666 to 667. He's got nothing in Jesus or in his word. He's got nothing. So he said, I'm going to go because I want the world to know, certainly wants the church to know, that I love the Father. I love the Father. He's not angry that his passion is in front of him. He'll, he'll sweat grapes, drops of blood when he, you know, in the fullness of what he's looking at, the, the sin of the world will be laid upon him, which is completely foreign to him. But he said, I'm going to do it because I love the Father. And then he said, what I'll say to you now, arise, let us be going. <laughs> arise. <laughs> Read ahead, John 15, the vine and the branches. We have some beautiful things ahead of us. Father, we thank you for these things. We look to you, Lord. We take them with us, Lord. This is part of our life, Lord. You speak to us. You teach us. You bring things to our remembrance, Lord. Help us on a, a difficult day, Lord, to remember we have your peace, Lord, not to let our hearts be troubled or afraid. Lord, it's, it's on the page. It's, we guard your word. It's important to us. So, Lord, by your grace and by your spirit, let us live these things out. And, Lord, we, look, we do say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In one sense, you, you're not going to be speaking much longer to this world. Because the prince of this world is ready to rear his head. And we're going to be going home to the Father. How remarkable, Lord. We put these things before you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen.